Hey friends, welcome to the Kids Ministry Circle podcast. Kids Ministry Circle is a community for kids ministry leaders to be encouraged and equipped to love and serve the local church. I'm your host, Lauren Jackson, and this week's episode is with some people that I have admired for a really long time. Our guests are Robert and Lori Crosby. They are the authors of Trauma-Informed Children's Ministry and the founders of Reach Hurting Kids Institute. The way they equip ministry leaders to care for and love all the kids and students that walk into their building is truly incredible. I was a better large group teacher after this conversation, and I know that you will be encouraged and equipped to love your families well. As we head into this conversation, I want to give you a quick heads up that this conversation may not be the best to play with little ears listening. The Crosbys and I talk about how to care well for kids who have experienced all types of trauma, so I would encourage you to pop those earbuds in or listen when littles are not around. One last announcement before we jump into today's conversation. Last week, we announced our fall cohort dates and registration date. The Kids Ministry Circle cohort is nine weeks of group coaching, or what I like to call a virtual table for kids and ministry leaders to build community, share ideas, gain a new perspective, grow in their leadership gifting, and feel less alone in ministry. You do not want to miss out on this cohort this fall. Registration begins next week, and if you want access to sign up first, head over to kidsministrycircle.com slash cohort to pre-register. Now on to my conversation with Robert and Lori. Robert and Lori, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. <laughs> We're so excited that you guys are here, and I will disclose that uh, Robert and Lori and I have chatted already because we were trying to record this podcast a couple weeks ago and the audio was so bad and they graciously agreed to jump back on the podcast with me. And so I'm so excited that you guys are here, but why don't you kick off our episode by just sharing a little bit about yourself and how you got into this uh, area that you guys are in and serving kids ministry leaders and Talk to us about what you guys are doing now. Hmm. So it's something I've been passionate about basically my whole life. I got that's how that was really my entry into serving in the church. I think I was fifteen or sixteen at the time, and it was suggested, and it, it really clicked. It's something I've enjoyed and and, and been involved with. Um, there's actually a point where it was my dream to go into the ministry full time, um, but as life progressed, God had other plans. So instead of becoming a pastor, as the years went by, I ended up becoming a research and statistics professor. So that was kind of a surprise. But then God brought all of these pieces in my life together. And and so now for the past several years, I've been doing research about children's ministry. And so lately, a lot of the research is focused on ways that churches can care for kids who have experienced trauma. Um, so I'm Lori Crosby. Um, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and a registered play therapist supervisor. So I specialize in treating children who've experienced trauma. Um, and I've actually been serving in children's ministry probably also maybe since I was 14 um, in some various capacity for hmm. yeah, basically a big part of my life. So what we're doing now is growing an organization called Reach Hurting Kids Institute. And the mission of Reach Hurting Kids is to empower the church to reach the hurting kids in our congregations and community. That's awesome. I love that so much. But kind of talk to us about your years in kids ministry, your kids ministry experience, 
serving and volunteering. And what made you realize that this was a need, that there was a area, this, this was lacking in the ministry world and kind of talk about really, maybe there was a moment or a specific season or a specific experience where you're like, wow, this is actually a big hole for ministry leaders and for churches and kind of walk us through how you realize that you and your skills and your knowledge and the gifts that God has given you could maybe fill this need. Hmm. Sure. So anecdotally, it's something that I've noticed in my ministry work over the years. I've always been drawn to kids that have struggled more with behavior or struggled more emotionally. So I've always had a heart for those kids and, and trying to work to include them in the life of the church. But um, I think what really stood out was in our research so we had a, a large nationwide study. There were over a thousand kids in the study. And one of the big takeaways was that kids who had trauma-related behaviors, essentially they felt rejected at church, right? They mm. didn't feel that people liked them. They didn't think that people cared about them. And because of that, they were more likely to, to close themselves off. But fortunately, through the research, we were able to identify a handful of churches that were able to include these kids and care for them. But the overwhelming majority of churches, they didn't know how to do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, just what Robert was sharing um, when he'd come back from interviewing these churches and hearing these stories, um, it really, it resonated with me as well. Um, I, in my practice, I work with a lot of Christian families um, where we live and a lot of these kids who had trauma-related behaviors we're getting kicked out of church, not allowed to attend VBS. Um, and that really broke my heart because that's not the father heart of God. Mm -hmm. um, so it just, we were talking, it's like the church needs to be empowered and equipped to handle kids and families who have these struggles. And there's a lot. Um, and like when the kids are set are told like you need to leave the children's ministry or you you're not allowed to attend VBS because of your behaviors, um, they interpret that as not just rejection from the church, but the church is the hands and feet of Christ. And so they're hearing that God is rejecting them. They're not good enough to be with God. Mm. Um, and so that that was really, really heavy and really hit me hard. Um, and so Robert and I processed that. And it's, it's also, I mean, I had one client, um, just the church, not knowing signs and symptoms of trauma. And yep. so I had one client, um, she had actually experienced sexual abuse, um, by a, a leader in the church and, um, she was in the youth group and she, after this experience, after a child or a teenager has experienced something pretty horrific, um, you have, uh, usually a personality change. So mm. she went from being like the good girl to it, something switched because of this trauma. Um, and then she was more of a party girl, um, for various reasons. Um, and so instead of the church recognizing that as a sign and symptom of a traumatic event that happened in her life, the volunteers gossiped about her. Hmm. Um, she knew it. They talked about her behind her back. No one pressed in. Nobody said, what happened? What's going on with you? Um, but instead they kind of turned away and just like, oh, well, I guess, you know, she's in high school now. So right. now she's going to party. 
right? Um, they saw this change so, in behavior and instead of the leaders, instead of triggering, triggering it in the leader's mind to say, Oh, maybe something actually happened. They just kind of like, well, she's in high school. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so interesting. And so I would say most kids ministry leaders, they don't have a degree in psychology. This is not mm-hmm. what they went to school for. They did not study like both of you have. And so they don't know the signs and the things to look for when it comes to trauma. And before we kind of answer the signs of trauma, I would love for you guys to define trauma. What is like a general definition of when we use the term trauma, what are the types of things that we're talking about? Yeah. Hmm. So there's different ways to define it, but I think a simple way to think of it is um, it's a threatening event or situation Mm -hmm. that causes long-term harm to the child's well-being. So it affects them emotionally, physically, spiritually, um, and intellectually, every part of the relationships. um, Some part of this child is is negatively affected for the long-term. And this can be a variety of things, right? Anything that's perceived as a threatening event or situation. So typical examples are different types of abuse, sexual, physical abuse, um, um, emotional abuse, neglect, mm-hmm. uh, divorce, having a parent in prison, mental illness in the home, drug abuse in the home. Uh, of course, it can be big events like a natural disaster, mm-hmm. right? So children in Ukraine would likely be experiencing trauma related mm-hmm. to the war taking place in their own country. Um, and it could be a variety of things. It could be bullying that's taking place mm-hmm. at school, uh, just really anything that's causing the person to feel threatened and they don't have the resiliency. They don't, they don't, they're not able to really cope with it and process it. And so it's, it's, it's negatively affecting them in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. I'm glad we kind of like give uh, the listeners and me personally, just a foundation of like, mm-hmm. Hey, here's what this is now yeah. for kids ministry leaders or even the volunteers that are listening what are some of those signs that they could be looking for? The things that like, as they have a room full of kids, what are some behaviors that could give some insight into like, oh, maybe this child needs X, Y, and Z, or maybe we can be better at partnering with them to do this. What are some of those signs that you look for when it comes to volunteers and staff members taking care of kids? Hmm. So in our work, we talk about four broad categories of uh, symptoms. And so the first one is fear. So any type of fear-related behavior is some sign that the child is afraid. They're hiding under a table. They don't want to participate in something. They're holding back um, in some way. Those type of behaviors Um, Another umbrella would be things related to feeling dysregulated. So in other words, kind of out of control of your mind, body, or emotions. So Mm -hmm. the child isn't sitting still, the child's not paying attention. They are um, getting bored or distracted. And then more typical would be outburst, screaming, crying, running away. Um, Another category would be feelings of disconnection or rejection. So behaviors related to that. So maybe they're pushing people away to protect themselves. Maybe there's a lack of empathy. They're they're bullying others. Um, They're, again, maybe they don't want to participate in something or be involved in a group. Hey, you want to come and participate in this game? No. And they're holding back. You're doing small group and they're, you know, butting away from the circle, those type of things. Um, And then finally would be... Uh, behavior is related to feelings of worthlessness. Mm-hmm. So they're feeling devalued. They feel like they don't matter. 
they feel like um, they are incompetent, they can't do it. So maybe they give up easily. You know, you have some kind of task and immediately they give up. They're, they're in a relay race and they get behind and so they purposely fall on the ground uh, because it's better to fall than to feel like they failed. They can't handle those feelings. Mm. Um, they feel maybe feelings of powerlessness. And so you might see them pushing back to try to regain a sense of power. So that's your defiance. So we'd, we'd look at a behavior like defiance instead of saying this child's willfully deciding to be bad or is trying to give me a hard time. We say this child is feeling a sense of powerlessness. What this child needs is to feel in control. So how am I going to respond to that need, respond to that feeling rather than getting upset and reacting to what I'm perceiving as some sort of offense to me? So th those would be broad, broad category. I, I could give you a specific example. Um, uh, last year, I had a fourth grade boy, so I was leading a fourth grade boy small group. And normally it was fine, but this time he was disengaged, kind of fooling around, stuff like that. So nothing major, just he was off task. And and so I saw that and thought, okay, wait, this is emotional. This is dysregulation, right? He's feeling some sense of out of control. Um, and so afterwards, you know, didn't say anything at the time, but kind of pulled him aside afterwards. Hey, I noticed you were having trouble paying attention during small group. Is everything okay? Right? And then before I know it, right, he's crying and telling me about how he's being bullied at school. And what I find out is all he can think about during church is what those kids are going to do to him tomorrow. Hmm. So that's... That's the type of thing we'd see. So a change in behavior. Lori was talking about mm -hmm. the young lady who was sexually abused and had a complete personality change. That's a dramatic example with this young man. It was just he was distracted during small group. So yeah. we look at a change in behavior or look at a behavior that we see as problematic or negative and try to look past it mm -hmm. and figure out what is this telling me? How can I sort of decipher or interpret this yeah. to tell me what this child's experience internally? Yeah. yeah. I think one thing... One question that came to mind as you were talking was where does childhood development and like things that are normal mm. per developmental stages mm. yeah. come in with these signs? Like, for example, as you were talking about the first one being fear, it's mm. developmentally normal for some kids to be fearful to like go into a space with other parents, right? That separation yeah. anxiety mm. is normal. And so we don't yes. want to say, oh, well, this behavior is because of trauma, but we also yes. don't want to say, well, a behavior like feeling neglected or being disengaged in small group. We don't want to just say, well, that's developmentally normal when it could be something deeper. And so how do you balance the two of those? Yeah. Well, the, the nice thing is it doesn't matter <laughs> really uh, as far as how we respond sometimes it's developmentally appropriate, right? So if a three-year-old falls on the floor and throws a tantrum because they didn't get animal crackers, that might be normal. <laughs> if a 12-year-old falls on the floor and has a tantrum because they're out of right. animal crackers, it wouldn't be normal. So yeah. we might say, well, maybe there's something else going on there. And yes. we, we could look at patterns over yeah. time. We, and could we look don't, at, we don't. I mean, the good news is we don't have to diagnose. We yeah. don't have to know yeah, the yeah. story. And sometimes we don't totally. get to know the story, but we can respond the same way to all kids at all stages yeah. in this supportive manner. So you mentioned, you know, the, the little one's afraid to go in, right? It doesn't matter whether it's caused by trauma. As far as our response, mm -hmm. we would say this child is feeling afraid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So whether this child's feeling afraid because, you know, they're, they're away from mom and dad for the first time, maybe they're in foster care. We don't actually know that. Maybe they, 
experienced abuse. We have no idea why they're feeling afraid, but we can look at that and say, this child's feeling afraid. How do we create feelings of safety mm -hmm. to address that need? So mm -hmm. if the child's distracted in small group, I don't know why. Maybe he was up late at a slumber party and is distracted. Maybe he mm -hmm. just doesn't like small group. Maybe he doesn't <laughs> like me. Maybe the kid next to him is poking him and I didn't see it. Right. Maybe he's thinking about something that's happening outside of group. Mm -hmm. But I can look at that and say, you know, this child's feeling dysregulated. So how can I speak into that need? Mm -hmm. That's that's so encouraging to hear because I think sometimes kids ministry leaders want to find the answer and then fix it. And mm -hmm. I love what you said, Lori, of like, sometimes we don't get to know the whole story on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good reminder of like, oh, we can respond the same way. Like we can assess mm -hmm. and experience a behavior and say, no matter what the story is, because they could mm -hmm. be in foster care or they could just be having, experiencing separation anxiety. We get to respond the same way and don't make up a story in our own brain and try and fix it when ultimately we just yes. don't know. <laughs> and I think that's encouraging because sometimes as a leader, you think, well, if they're experiencing trauma, I need to act this way. And if it's developmentally mm -hmm. normal, I need to act this way. But it's like, no, your reaction actually is very similar across the board. And so mm -hmm. I think in your book, which we'll make sure you talk about your book at the end, but in your book, you kind of talk mm -hmm. about this yeah. church life and home life and how those can be different and similar. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about that, but then kind of talk about how we as kids ministry leaders can come alongside families when maybe we experience something from a child on a Sunday morning and we don't know the whole story. And so what does it look like to come alongside the family in that moment and in that interaction? Hmm. Yeah, I think, Lori could say a little about the specifics. I, I think it'd be important to mention that there is a time where we pass, we kind of pass what we can really handle. So mm -hmm. if you have minor issues, typically we're going to handle that internally. Ideally, it doesn't even need to be mentioned to mom and dad. If it's small mm -hmm. things that we're, we're resolving, we're dealing with, we're making it positive. But sometimes it does go beyond what we can handle or we have concerns. Mm -hmm. Maybe we are handling it, but the child's mentioning, making comments, Sometimes it's something that would even be reportable. Um, I had a little boy, I think he was in second or third grade a few years ago, and he was talking about hurting himself. He said he was having a bad life. He told us that he was hitting his head against the wall and trying to make it bleed. He was suffocating himself with a pillow, trying to mm -hmm. kill himself. He was drawing pictures of shooting kids at school. Yeah, we could handle the behavior in group, but this would be an extreme example, but clearly yeah. an example of we need to broaden this conversation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think coming alongside the family and as gently as possible, you know, wording, um, wording it like we're a team. So we've noticed that, you know, your son or daughter has had um, some struggles uh, in church, you know, maybe list a couple of the issues that we're concerned about. Like, mm -hmm. have you seen this at home? Mm -hmm. um, if so, what is your approach? Like, how can we support you? Um, is there strategies that work at home that we could use here at church? Mm -hmm. um, and then if it's something as extreme as like, I'm going to hurt myself or hurt others, then yes, we have to have that conversation. Like make sure the parents know, make sure parents know that that's, that's real serious and refer out to therapy counseling. Hopefully um, your church has um, a list 
of therapists in your area, maybe faith-based therapists, um, especially if you're in a church, that would be great, Mm -hmm. um, where you could support that family to get help, to get that child some counseling, um, to help with, you know, some of those bigger things that are happening and figure out what is happening that's causing him to verbalize he wants to hurt himself or other people. Mm-hmm. In yeah. a very non-shaming way. Yes, yes, I, yes, yes. In the research, I talked to a lot of adoptive or foster parents, mm-hmm. and typically they told me that they didn't tell the people mm-hmm. at church that the child was not their biological child. Mm-hmm. The, the language I would hear is, it's not my story to tell. Yes, it's their story. Mm-hmm. So they would show up to a church with children, and the child would have issues and behavior issues, and they would feel that they're being judged. You're, you're, yes. Even if it wasn't verbalized, they get the sense of they're judging my parenting, they're judging our family, they're judging the kid, and they right. didn't feel the license to say, you know, this I just adopted this kid out of this horrible situation, and you know, instead it just came across as rejecting of them and, and very shaming. Mm-hmm. And even if it is a biological child, you know, we don't know the whole story, and so. All those, all those recommendations, but in a way that we're, we're a team, we want to be supportive yes. and there's yes. no sense of judgment or blame. No. Yeah. Absolutely. That's really important. I think both, both are very important. I wonder how you guys would handle maybe a situation like this where a, or what you would encourage kids ministry leaders to do of like, maybe this ministry, this ministry has a great buddy ministry set up. And mm-hmm. they see some behaviors happening in a child on a Sunday morning and they think, oh, this child would probably do really well with a buddy. We have this thriving ministry. Yeah. We have this opportunity. And they yeah. go to the parents and they don't, they can't find a way to get on the same page. Maybe the parent mm-hmm. doesn't feel or the, the guardian or the parent doesn't feel like the child needs a buddy. Kind of like how do you encourage kids mm-hmm. ministry leaders when conflict arises between a parent and a ministry leader, how do you encourage them to work through that and still keep the well-being of the child at the as the center and the main focus? Yeah. Hmm. That's a good question. Thoughts on that? Um so I would say like I think going back to how you're addressing it and also your relationship with the family. Mm-hmm. Um, relationship we talk about this is is the trauma-informed strategy. And so that doesn't just go to the child, that extends to the family. And so I is there a, a team, a volunteer, a staff member at the church that has relationship or can move towards having relationship with that family um, to just build um so that they can see that the church is for them, not against them. And that, I don't know, most kids love to have a buddy. I mean, that just yeah. sounds so wonderful and so positive. I It's hard for me to imagine that a parent would be like, no, my kid's perfect. I mean, parents do say that, but um, <laughs> like we, we think that this would be really helpful. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I think it just kind of boils down to how you're talking to them about it and having that that supportive, non-shaming, positive language, um, and then just having that relationship with them mm-hmm. and just, I guess, normalizing normalizing hard things that happen in our life, yeah. normalizing um, like negative acting out behaviors and stressing the importance that our kids' ministry is for all kids mm-hmm. um, and you are not being singled out we have buddies for lots of different kids for various reasons and they feel supportive, heard, special, taken care of. 
Um, and that's a great thing. Yeah, that's awesome. What good encouragement. Is there something uh, when it comes to Sunday morning programming, are there things that like you recommend that maybe kids ministry leaders have in their building or implement in the Sunday morning program that can really communicate that their ministry is for all kids? What are, if you think of some like tangible things that if like, I mean, we're recording this right before Amazon Prime Day, and that's kind of what's on my brain. I'm like, what are some things that kids ministry leaders can either put in a classroom or implement in the way that they greet kids? Like, what are some of those things that can really help with those kids that have experienced trauma? Hmm. Lots of ideas. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think. We, we, I mentioned this four umbrellas of symptoms and I always think about the opposite. So what would create safety, what would create regulation, yes. connection, value. So mm. I mean, a few things that come to mind, an easy one is, um, uh, ear, like earmuffs, like, like hearing protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of kids have sensory Noise issues. Headphones. Yeah. Wh- whatever that would be. Um, like somebody would use mm-hmm. for, um, yeah. like sports, maybe, you know, shooting or something like that. That's very loud. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an easy one. I always mm-hmm. recommend having a couple in the sound booth. So if you see a kid covering their ears or wanting to leave the room, that yeah. can, that can be a big one. They're inexpensive. Um, with the with the toys and activities, I would mention having consistency. So if there's a favorite toy, the child knowing that whenever they come in the room, it's there and they know right where it is. Um, as far as the toys and games, things that are going to facilitate cooperative play. Mm-hmm. So there's board games that are specific to that. Uh, Feed the Woozle, Mermaid Island are mm-hmm. ones where kids have to play cooperatively. A big one is a Lego table. So it's a table on the ground that several kids can sit around um, and play Legos together, build together, train set, whatever would make sense for the age group. Uh, you know, fifth fifth graders love playing with Legos, so it doesn't have to be just younger kids as far I as that goes. I love playing with Legos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, balls. We we mm-hmm. created a we work with usually the older kids, uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth, but we set up, we turned folding tables over on this side and made a gaga ball pit. Uh, that they have a lot of fun playing. Yeah. So a lot of different types of toys would be big. Um, you might mention some, some, some sensory type objects. Yeah. Um, so there is, I mean, like you could have like a, in my office, I have a fidget tray. Um, so I have my playroom in the back and then I have um, another office that's more for family therapy um, or individual therapy teenagers. Um, but then I always, I have this big tray and it has just a variety of fidgets that you can get on Amazon probably mm-hmm. for fairly cheap in a couple of days. Um, so there's like, just like things to fidget with and to play with while you're just maybe talking or, or worshiping because fidgeting can sometimes help kids, especially kids with ADHD, you focus more. Um, so, so having those available, I was also thinking like your schedule, like having the schedule somewhere Mm. that could be on like the wall that's easily read by all kids. And if there's a new kid, um, to the ministry, just walking them through that schedule. This is what is to be expected. And then sticking to it, not changing things up. Um, There's visual uh, countdown clocks mm -hmm. that are, um, I can't remember the name of it, but you you Google this. And and so there's, you know, the hand moves and it kind of counts down to the red. And so if you have kids that are anxious about being there, okay, when when this gets here, that's when mom and dad are going to come back. Mm -hmm. Those can be helpful. Different types of bean bags sometimes. Mm -hmm. Those can be helpful to have on the floor. Um, oh, Bibles, uh, look, looking at the, the translation and reading level of the Bibles, mm-hmm. most 
a lot of, like NIV is, I think, at seventh grade reading level, but most kids read well below their reading level. Mm -hmm. So there are translations of the Bible, like New International Reader's Version, that are maybe more at a third grade level. So that might be something worth investing in, making sure there's translations that kids can actually understand. That comes to mind. That's a great yeah. yeah, that's a great... Robert, I don't think I've ever thought about that, but if you, but one of, if one of the four things is talking about rejection and talking about like mm. those kids that give up, like they just, they try to do something and they can't do it. And so they just like totally disassociate and give up. Like you think about even the small task of like instructing your third or fourth graders to open to a certain book of the Bible yeah, and like them not being able to do it. And it's like, well, if they could easily get frustrated and then just give up. And so it's like, Oh, what if your Bibles in your classroom had those tabs that like helped kids find the chapters easier. That may be really welcoming to kids, especially kids who maybe don't even have a Bible at home, like can easily look at the chapter markers. It's I think small things like that, which yeah. probably seem really small to kids, ministry leaders make a big deal to kids. Mm -hmm. And that's like, I'm like, I could, we could do that at our church. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. mornings. I love it. <laughs> One thing that I think churches might spend money on that I would almost caution would be rewards. Hmm. So I'll, I'll hear a lot of people talk yes. about reward systems. You get a reward for this and a reward yeah. for that. And, you know, positive reinforcement can be helpful in a lot of ways for building habits. So there, I think there's a place, but we don't want to lean into that. And a lot of times with uh, kids who have experienced trauma, it's controlling. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. a child who feels powerless, they feel like adults are always trying to control them and that authority has been abused in their life. And they're looking for a sense of control. Even something that's positive could be threatening to them. Yeah. So absolutely. if you say, well, if you do this, I'll give you this. Yeah. They may push back against that, you know, refuse, yeah. rip the thing up or just not be interested in it. So as much as we can lean into intrinsic type motivations versus extrinsic, it, it has that long-term benefit for everyone, yeah. but also can dodge a power struggle with a child who's dealing with feelings of powerlessness. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. That's such, that's a good reminder. Cause I think sometimes we just like jump straight to, Oh, well, like we'll have a rewards bin if they like bring their Bible mm -hmm. or if they bring a friend or like, and all of those things may be so unattainable for yes most kids. And then it's like, well, that is ultimately not serving our community well. Uh, yeah. So my next question is kind of something that I've experienced in ministry. And I know many leaders have as well, where kind of similar to the story that you were sharing earlier, Robert, where a, kid, a child comes up to you and shares something that's so awful and so traumatic and the, either the volunteer or the kids ministry leader is like, uh, I don't know how to respond. I don't know what to do. I don't know who to tell. I don't know what, I don't know what my job is or my rights are. I don't know what the law says. Like all of these variables kind of enter into the kids ministry leaders brain of like, wow, this is really hard. What just shared with me. And a lot of times uh, it's an emotional response. Maybe it triggers tears or just something like there's so many things that could happen. What do you recommend? What are you what are you instructing and guiding kids ministry leaders and volunteers to do with that knowledge and in that moment how to best react? So in the moment the best thing to do is to empathize and validate the emotion. Um it there's unfortunately when we do hear horrific things 
that children have experienced, we want to, as adults, jump in and save them in mm-hmm. some way, shape, or form. And the fact is, is we don't get to do that. We are not their savior, um, but yeah. we get to be his hands and feet. We get to be his eyes, his ears, his heart. Um, and so knowing that when something awful happens, there's nothing you can do or say that takes away that awful thing. Mm. But you do get to witness. You do get to show them like you love them, like you want to know more, ask open-ended questions. Um, how did that make you feel? Um, you know, what else, you know, so what else do you want to say about that? Or right. not that question, <laughs> but like, <laughs> you know, um, just open-ended questions to help yeah. like pull out more information from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then validating the emotion, like just even like, man, that must've been so scary for you. Um, or you must feel so sad. Um, I can understand feeling sad. I can understand feeling scared. I'm so sorry. Like just some, just those little bit of validating, um, statements that you could say, um, after you hear information, I mean, hopefully I I know at least in California, every church, everybody who volunteers um, and works at a church has to do, um, like mandated reporter training. Mm -hmm. Um, so if there is, if you, um, suspect child abuse, always report. Um, so talked with the pastor, um, and then make sure that you follow through with the protocol as far as reporting abuse. Um, and you don't have to have, um, the facts. You don't have to, you're not the investigator. Right. You you report reasonable suspicion of abuse. Um, and then the social workers do their job. They investigate. Um, and it's hard. I think what you had shared too about, what do you do when you hear hard things? I mean, there's something called vicarious trauma. Um, and so hearing horrific stories, it impacts the the person, you know, the ministry volunteer. You carry that. You care for this child. You care for this family. Mm-hmm. And when you hear details of awful things, that does go deep. That does impact you. You're a person. Yeah. Um, so I just... Like, be gentle with yourself, be kind to yourself, talk to, like, your pastor. Um, again, somebody who you have to hold that confidentiality. So so somebody right. who's in that leadership role that you can process with your own therapist. Um, hopefully, you know, I, I think everybody should be in therapy at some point in time <laughs> for a while. Um, so processing what you heard with a safe person, holding the confidence of that child because, the last thing that that child needs is to overhear you telling like your husband about it right. or the other volunteer at the church, but in a safe place, the pastor, their office. Like, mm-hmm. so this happened. I think it's reportable. Also, I have feelings about it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Does that make sense? No, that's really helpful. Uh, the confidence, I would emphasize that even a little bit more is keeping it to the people who need the information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And having clarity about who who that is under mm-hmm. what circumstances, and that the child's in the loop on that. Mm-hmm. So when I'm leading a small yeah, group, good, yeah. we mm-hmm. we have small group rules, and mm-hmm. we go over them at the beginning of every week of small group. And we'll say, you know, we I use the word private instead of confidential because it's a little more kid friendly. But we'll say what you say is private. We're not going to tell anyone else what's being said here unless someone's being hurt. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I tell them, I'm going to tell, you know, Pastor Lori, and I'm, we're going to have to tell your parents to make sure that you're safe or that whoever the yeah. person is stays safe. So they know ahead of time, 
this is what's going to happen. And then would tell them, this is what you've shared. And and I'm worried that you're not safe. And so, you know, with, with the boy I mentioned earlier, you're talking about trying to kill yourself. I'm worried you're not safe. So to keep you safe because I care about you, this is what we're going to do. And inversely, if, if it's the pastor who knows the information, maybe they think it would be helpful for the small group leader to know. I wouldn't just out and out and tell them. I might say, you know, hey, is it okay if I tell Miss Lori what happened? Mm-hmm. Or right. you know, maybe it's, hey, Lori, keep an extra close eye on Abby. She's having a tough time lately. Mm-hmm. So there's some kind of a heads up, but not just as blatant liberty to start telling people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. sometimes there's almost, it's almost like a point of pride. Like, well, they trust me so much. They told me this intimate thing and we want people to know. And so we kind of start or word it as a prayer request. Oh, can you please pray for Abby? She told me that, you know, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. So we want to a- avoid that. all of that. Don't make sure that. it's just who needs to know that yes. the child yeah. knows who knows yes. and why. Yes. And then if there's someone who doesn't absolutely need to know, asking mm-hmm. permission before sharing. Yeah. So. Yeah. And to go That's with good. like those what he was saying as far as like um, when you're talking to the child, like Mm. if they've experienced a loss, like sometimes um, Christians will say, well, God just needed another angel. Um, You know, they're in a better place. Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. I mean, some of these um, like, I call it like pat statements. Like Mm -hmm. you're trying to like pat, like quickly brush it under the rug, like pat it away. Like, but that causes so much more harm. Um, if you don't know what to say, say that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to say right now. Yeah. And, and just be authentic because mm-hmm. there really isn't anything you can do or say to mm-hmm. make anything better. But you can say, like, I'm here for you. Yeah. that We have a situation, which I can't share any details. It's ongoing. But a young man at our church right now. And that was just the other day. We, we sat down and he shared a bunch of things. <laughs> I think I just, you know, so-and-so, like, I, I have no idea what to say that yeah. sucks and I'm so sorry. And I'm here. It was just that I'm here for you. I have, I'm speechless. I'm literally speechless. And then you kind of smiled because it was, we, we both knew and, and that was it. Yeah. yeah. There was, I had no solution. Yeah. I think that's so helpful. Just to don't try and like Christianese your way out of a conversation. Mm. Like I feel like sometimes people just yeah. feel like the need to fill the space with like whatever words yeah. come to mm-hmm. mind. And it's like, it's okay to be quiet. It's okay to say, I don't know, or I don't have any words yeah. or gosh, that is so, I'm so sorry that you, like you could just say the sm- the simplest of things. And I think that's better mm-hmm. than over talking in this sort of experience. Mm-hmm. Does this kind of reaction and care and all of these things that we're talking about, does it differ between kids ministry and student ministry? No, not really. Mm-mm. We, we use the language kid and, and that can mean different things in different mm-hmm. cultures or contexts. And I talk about college kids, <laughs> uh, I'm a university professor. And so among, among the professors, the colleges, so that can mean different things, but, um, it, it really doesn't. We have, we have plenty of youth leaders and volunteers who come to our workshops and we, we use the language children's ministry. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell them ahead of time, like, we're going to say child, 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 but this is going to apply. And, and I'll come back later and check in and say, oh yeah, absolutely. That didn't bother me at all. Yeah, It, it all applies. Some, some of yeah. the exact specifics would look different, 
the way a five-year-old expresses some of these feelings would be different from a 15-year-old. So mm-hmm. it's dialing in those specifics. But, um, you know, like the, the five-year-old's not going to probably go out and start drinking and partying like the 15-year-old. But right. it, it's the same idea. So no, and, and really honestly with adults, it's, it's, it's the same idea. Even mm-hmm. babies to an extent experience some of these things. And yeah. so it, it's a lifespan thing. We focused in on a particular area. Our research was dealing with kids kind of mainly preschool through, you know, age 12 ish, 13 ish, but no, I, I wouldn't limit that at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really helpful as even like parents who are listening, like this kind of behavior spans, mm-hmm. it's not just limited to five, six, seven year olds. It really impacts mm-hmm. kind of everybody and the way that we, re- we react and how that we care for people, um, kind of remains the same, which is really helpful. Um, I would love, we, we had a, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, oh, we had sorry. someone at one of our, our workshops said, uh, uh, I, I used it with my husband <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> our marriage is better. <laughs> hey, whatever works, you know, whatever, whatever tools you can use to improve your marriage is worth it. Um, <laughs> we are pro but, Yes. But I would love for you guys to talk about how, can church leaders, not just kids ministry leaders, how can they learn these things? So I would love for you to talk about the courses that you offer, the ways that you guys are mm-hmm. reaching kids ministry leaders so that they can reach hurting kids. Talk to us a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. So our focus over the past few years has been getting this information into the hands of church leaders and church communities in a way they can use. So I spent a decade doing science and there's lots of scientific articles that some people will benefit from. Uh, but the, the two big pieces, one is the book. So we can say more later if you'd like, but it's called trauma informed children's ministry, a practical guide to reaching hurting kids. That's going to be applicable to anyone in the church. So if you're a senior pastor or an associate pastor, counseling pastor, youth pastor, women's pastor, whatever that is, that's the information is going to apply. Mm-hmm. It's not just going to give you a heads up for the way the church interacts with children, but it's going to give you a mindset across the board. It's very practical. And what we focused on lately is our workshops. Mm-hmm. And so when we began, it was Lori and I, we have a couple other team members who would physically go into a church and we would work with a team and, and help them develop these skills. And we bottle, bottlenecked because we could only go so many to so many churches. Mm-hmm. So we created a self-guided curriculum. And what it means is there's a, a PowerPoint, a presenter's manual, a guide and instructions for different activities, a workbook for the participants, the people that you're training. And you, the, the ministry leader could be anyone in the church. Usually it's the children's pastor. They take their own team and anyone else in the church who wants to learn about it. Sometimes it's parents, foster parents, youth leaders, care pastors, really any teachers in the community. We've had superintendents come to these. Um, so anyone who has an interest in this can come in and they take their own people through it. So right now we have four modules, each one 75 minutes long. So the idea is you tell your team, hey, and you know, on August 3rd or whatever it is, we're going to have a training after church. So I'm going to give you sandwiches, pizza, whatever they like. And I'm going to keep you for an hour and a half. Feed your volunteers. Fe- yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, yep. A regulation. You want them to be regulation. physically regulated. <laughs> and so feed them. Uh, and they feel valued, by the way. So that's, it's hitting these trauma points. So, <laughs> so we care for them and then take them through, which also builds a sense of competence as they learn the skills. So you mm-hmm. take them through the 75-minute workshop. And then maybe three months later, go to the next one. 
And we've done research on these because mm-hmm. I'm a researcher. That's what I do. And one of our hallmarks is everything we're going to put out there into your hands is going to be something that we know works. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we did a huge research study with the first two modules. So churches did those. So Lori and I and some other professionals would teach in some churches. Yes. And then it was randomly assigned. We just flipped a coin. And then the other half, the leader themselves in their own church led, led their team through it. And what we found was that across the board, the volunteers were better equipped to handle behavior. So they understood trauma better. This is months mm-hmm. later, uh, two, three months later. They understood trauma later better. They knew how to respond more effectively. Mm-hmm. And the discipline problems were way down. Yeah. And meaning that the volunteers were more capable of handling problems without vol- involving the pastor, children's pastor. And then the whole children's ministry team collectively was able to handle problems without involving the parent. Yeah. So one church said, Typically in a month, we would send 10 kids back to their parents during during the month. So roughly two or three per service. And they said after the training, a couple of months later, it was one or two. Mm-hmm. So wow. there's still kids that haven't quite had their needs met. But man, what a dramatic decrease Huge. in the issues. And then we compared where we led it to where the pastor led it. Mm-hmm. And when they did it, it was about 90% as effective as when we did it. Yeah. Which very satisfied with. And that was yeah, that's great. very effective. That 90% was that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so we, the first one is an introduction, just kind of a basic framework for how we respond. The second one's focused on supportive discipline practices. Mm-hmm. So any church that's dealing with those issues or wants their team to be equipped to deal with the issues, especially if they're doing outreach work, um, v, you know, we're doing VBS, so we're not trying to handle the kids in the community or we have families going through divorce, whatever that is, mm-hmm. so they can handle it internally and positively. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's a ministry opportunity, not a, not a not tension, not a conflict. Um, our third one has to do with teaching. So if you want to understand how trauma impacts learning environment mm-hmm. and then how to restructure that so all the kids can learn and succeed, uh, that's number three. And then number four is on small group leaders. It's developing small groups. So we just had a pilot study in um, at a Calvary Chapel church in Southern California. And they were doing, I don't know, maybe more of like a Sunday school type model, maybe just a large group model. And so in January, they wanted to switch and start doing small groups. And they didn't have really a starting point. So I gave them the materials. She, the, the pastor, she led her own team through it. I just, I watched and took videos so I could make a video about it. And I didn't, I didn't help. And she took her team through it. And before this, we surveyed the kids. We have a special survey that um, it measures the kids. It's what's well, called um, received, received church support. So being able to talk about their problems, getting help with problems, being safe, sharing feelings, just feeling a sense of connection and support. Mm-hmm. So we, we did that before with the kids. And then two months later, which is as long as I think it was about two months, we didn't have a lot of time. And we gave the survey again, and we saw that there was a significant, substantively and statistically significant increase mm-hmm. in the kids' perception mm-hmm. of support. So they were able to train the leaders in 75 minutes. That's all the training they had. And then they would support each other afterwards and refresh, but they would, um, went out there, they changed the model. They work with, these are kids they already knew. They've been working with them for a year or two. Mm -hmm. And even after having two, you know, a year or two of relationship, this shifted the dynamic. And now the kids had had a space to share their struggles and have the church walk through that with Mm -hmm. them. So that's what we, that's what we have out there. It, it, it works. I wouldn't, we wouldn't be on the podcast. We wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> yeah. We would just stay home and watch Netflix if it didn't work, but it does work. So we're trying to get the word out. Yeah. That's awesome. I know I was in 
our summer intensive happens for kids ministry circle mm-hmm. over six mm-hmm. weeks over the summer. And we spend one week talking about safety and one week talking about training volunteers. Mm-hmm. And this conversation came up a lot because it's, it's a common thing that kids ministry leaders are experiencing is like, Hey, we've got these kids who are showing behavioral problems and we just don't know how to handle it. We just are not equipped. The kids ministry leaders aren't equipped. The volunteers aren't equipped. And I was like, you guys have Mm -hmm. to check out returning kids because these are so the one they're cost effective, right? You're not Mm -hmm. cost. You're not paying for someone to fly out to your church. You're not paying for them to stay at a hotel, like all of these things. It's self-guided so that they can pick the time and date that works for them and their teams. And and it works like it actually, you guys are actually giving people practical tips on how to care for families. Yeah. And, and I think it's extra important, not just because we're in a, a time of elevated trauma post COVID, but mm-hmm. um, a lot of, well, I guess related to that, a lot of churches are struggling to recruit volunteers. I hear about mm-hmm. that oh, yeah. constantly. Mm-hmm. We yes. don't have volunteers. We don't have volunteers. And I think this, this speaks to that issue in two ways is, one is the people you do have, you want to make sure they're equipped and empowered. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's that's huge. Okay, I have a third of the people I wish I had. Yes. Let's make sure they are fully equipped to handle these things. Yeah. Um, on top of that, it changes the narrative. We're not babysitting. And and I know most churches, most don't use that language. I, I right. still hear childcare from time to time. It makes like my blood Brain boil. <laughs> I hate that. You know, so, sometimes there's childcare for events. It is, but, but the children's yeah. ministry is it's not. not- it's not child meant care. to be childcare. Yes. So um, it, it transforms that in people's minds from you're doing ministry and and when you're in the mix and you've had the, the the workshop and then now you encounter a situation and a child sharing and you actually get to be the hands of and feet of Jesus walking through this thing with this child, seeing God move in that situation, and you mm-hmm. realize, oh wow, God is using me to change a child's the trajectory of their walk with God and the trajectory yes. of their life. I want to be in here and I want to be part of this. Yes. It becomes a privilege. You yes. get to be a volunteer. You don't, you aren't guilted into it. And then it's a lot more exciting to recruit. Hey, have you thought about being part of this? It's amazing. Like they equip you, they show you what to do and you really make a difference. And I, I you know, I don't have data on um, the volunteer recruitment. I have had anecdotally. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, there was an instance where, uh, someone, someone was there setting chairs up. That was how they volunteered as they set up chairs. Mm-hmm. And then the video started in the training and they stuck around. And at the end of it, they said, I want to volunteer now <laughs> yeah, on Sunday mornings. And then I had a couple say they had, um, they rotated. They would have volunteers every other week because I don't want to ask them to be every week. I, I can barely mm-hmm. get them. I don't want them to like quit. Yeah. And they had several say, you know what, now that I get it, Mm-hmm. Now that I understand why we're here, now that I understand how important relationship and consistency is, I want to be here every week. Yeah. I yeah. don't have generalizable data on that, so I don't want to make the same claim as I would about the other, but I have heard of that anecdotally, and yeah. I think it's a great starting point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. And I will say, the information that you guys present in your trainings and in your book are not just beneficial for Sunday morning. Like I think about... How many times neighbor kids are playing in my front yard and my Mm -hmm. own kids and their friends in their classrooms. And like, there's so many ways that this kind of information just is helpful navigating all sorts of relationships. And I think that is the coolest thing about this is that kids ministry leaders can 
use your research and your what you have created to impact not only Sunday morning, but like an entire community of people who can like just the way that we evangelize to our neighbors and the way that we build community with our friends at school and friends in sports and like all of these different environments that this information and this knowledge just impacts and the influence. And so it's not just, Hey, use this and be a better small group leader. It's like, no, use this and be a better Mm -hmm. disciple of Jesus, which I think is Mm -hmm. the sweetest part of this resource and how Mm -hmm. you guys communicate it. And so I'm just so excited to continue to help you guys get this into the hands of ministry leaders, because I think it's so beneficial. Um, And so I would love for you guys to answer our last question that we asked on the podcast and then share all the places that people can connect with you. So Mm -hmm. the last question we always ask is if you were talking to someone brand new in kids ministry, what would be your words of encouragement or advice? Uh, relationship, 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 relationship. Again, relationship is key. It's the trauma-informed strategy. Get on the floor, play Legos with the kids, um, ask those open-ended questions, go deeper with them just through play. Play is so powerful. And like at the beginning, at least at our church, and I know a lot of churches at the beginning of um, when you're welcoming the kids in, sometimes the leaders will stand in the back and just talk to Mm -hmm. each other. But jump in, jump into the Gaga ball pit and play Gaga ball with them. Um, You know, play the board game, sit in color, just just build that relationship. That's awesome. A big one I would emphasize is that you matter, the work you do matters, Mm -hmm. the ministry matters. And hopefully anyone serving in children's ministry at least has an inkling of that or um, that's in in their heart. But Speaking scientifically, that was a lot of our early research was statistically, psychologically, Mm -hmm. does children's ministry matter Mm -hmm. to child development? Mm -hmm. And some of our very early studies explored these questions. Uh, There was some, some people, I would hear various arguments. Some would be, well, maybe by the time they're a teenager, the relationship at church might matter. Um, There's, there's a thought. And I think people should emphasize the role of parents in discipleship, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's, it's necessary, but not a sufficient condition for discipleship. Mm-hmm. And I was at a conference once and they, they, and they rolled out a like shopping carts and they had little, I want to say little balls, like in a ball pit. And they used them to represent how much time kids spend in various contexts. So mm-hmm. here's like the three hours that they're at church this month. And then here's all the hours they are at school and here's all the hours they are at home. And the implication was that that's how little our time with them matters. Like it's proportionate to how often they're doing these other things. It's, it's just not true. Mm-hmm. It's just not true at all. So, you know, ask anyone who a therapist who spent 45 minutes with a kid, right? Um, but it's it just, it's just not true. The, the quality of relationships they have at church is predictive of the relationship, the way they view God, the relationship with God is yeah. predictive of their self-esteem, how they see their own self-worth. Yes. And it's predictive of their behavior, yeah. the actual fruit of the spirit in their lives. We've run experiments mm-hmm. on this. I can show you the data. I can show you, mm-hmm. you know, the published scientific articles yeah. that yes, what we do in children's ministry has the potential when it's relationship-based, when we're doing this in the right way to change kids' lives. You're the yeah. hands and feet of Christ. And it really, really matters. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's so good. That's so encouraging. And I hope that I hope that people listening and kids ministry leaders who are listening really take that to heart and remember that 
if the work that they're doing matters, whether it's something big like a BBS event or fall kickoff or something small like having lunch with your volunteers and just getting on the floor and playing Legos on a Sunday morning, even for just five minutes, those little things matter. And so um, that was such an encouraging word. So thanks for sharing. Uh, okay, so the even last thing going, I want- I was just going to mention, even when it's going badly, when it feels like it's going badly. <laughs> Yes. Uh, people, uh, you know, say, well, I had this situation and the kid was out. Of, I tried to intervene and the kid had this. I was trying to be nice and I was trying to be helpful. I was trying to use the strategies and, and the kid was a mess and I feel like a failure. Mm-hmm. And I said, here's what the kid's going to remember is when I was a kid, I had all these issues. I was at church and that's the place they were patient and kind to me. Yes. Yeah. Not at school, not at home, not in the neighborhood, not at the YMCA. At church is where they were patient and kind. They'll, they'll forget all the terrible things they did. All they're going to remember is that you were kind. And trying yeah. matters. Yeah. You know, when, when you have these tough cases, what broke my heart the most is interviewing a family and they had been kicked out of probably a good dozen churches. And they said, you know, the behavior would come up and they said they didn't even try. They, my brother would yeah. act up and they would just go get grandma. They didn't even try. So trying matters. Being patient and kind matters. They're going to remember that. And that's going to reflect how they're going to see Christ. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Okay. So if people want to get more of your guys's knowledge, your studies, your information, where's the best place to find you guys? I would say start with the book. Um, that's on Amazon. If you just Google trauma-informed children's ministry, it's easy to mm-hmm. find. Um, Amazon undercut everybody else's price, so to our chagrin. Uh, but that is the, the least expensive and fastest way to get a hold of the book. <laughs> yeah. um, our website is reachhurtingkids.com. So reachhurtingkids.com also should be pretty easy to find. And uh, there's a workshop tab in there, so you can find the the workshop mm-hmm. modules. It'll give descriptions. We made videos that. You can watch that show you what it's like. Here's what's covered. Here's what the activities are. We try to give as much information as possible so you know what you're getting into before making that investment. So reachhurtingkids.com forward slash workshop is the is those materials. The book you can find anywhere. It's on basically anywhere you can buy a book. That's um, awesome. And uh, I usually say start with the book. So you have the information, you have the framework, and then when you're ready to bring this to your team, I mean, if you're ready to do it now, just go ahead. Uh, but then- get your hands on the workshop, begin that process and and you're going to see results. Yeah. Great. That's awesome. Thanks you guys so much for being on the podcast again the second time. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate the work. <laughs> no I know. We appreciate the work that you're doing and I thank can't you. wait to continue to hear more from you guys. Aww. So I'm really grateful. So thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank thanks you so for much. having us. <laughs> Friends, don't you just love Robert and Lori? Let me tell you, technology tried really hard to keep us from making this conversation happen, but we did it, and I am so glad that you were able to hear it and gain so much wisdom from the Crosbys and the work that they are doing at Reach Hurting Kids Institute. I cannot speak higher of their book, Trauma-Informed Children's Ministry, the courses that they provide, and just them as human beings. If you are looking for ways to equip your volunteer teams this fall, head to the show notes and take a look at all the great options over at Reach Hurting Kids. If you want to keep the conversation going, you can follow Kids Ministry Circle on Instagram and Facebook at Kids Ministry Circle. And don't forget to pre-register for our fall cohort kicking off at the end of September. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.